mysteries of Gravity Falls creep into the non-animated world. This is the Gravity Bros Podcast. I'm Alan Kester, and I am joined by my pterodactyl bro, Lucas. My pterodactyl. This is my uh, uh, this is my uh, T-Rex bro, Alec. My Spinosaur bro. My my. Uh, wait. There's got to be one that's my uh, my my uh, my Broionics. That's what I was here for. So I appreciate the sentiment, but I thought that we were pterodactyl bros together like Seuss and Dipper. I guess that I'll take it. I, I think I, I didn't want to steal their thing. All right, I'm stealing the thing because oh, okay. I gotta say, Lucas, I think that pterodactyl bros could have been an underrated name for this podcast if we hadn't gone for gravity bros. Okay, you're not wrong. That actually would have been sick. You're, that is definitely would have been a cool thing. I will not. I will not lie. Yeah. It might have been so niche that people would not have caught on. And overall, this is probably, like, Gravity Bros is a better name for marketing. But I think yeah. that, like, for the fans, Pterodactyl Bros would have been pretty fun. Um, bro, I love this episode. And I'm just going to start off by saying this immediately. So, and for those who are wondering, we watched the episode called Land Before Swine. Uh, if you can't tell, about dinosaurs, you know, all that jazz. This yeah. is my favorite episode of the show so far. Really? It is. I loved it. Um, there's so much to love about it. Uh, there's Whoa. so many good lines. I'm. I was just like, and, and I had. I watched Whoa. this with like careful attention to detail, and I had to keep pausing. There was so much to watch. But even not having the experience of free flowing, watching the episode from start to finish, I had such a good time. Wow, that's insane. This is definitely not my favorite episode so far, but it is really good, and I do love dinosaur. Your favorite episode? I'm literally flipping through my previous notes right now to be like, really? Carpet Diem? Carpet Diem was really good. I love that one. All right, but like, I enjoy dinosaurs and lore and mythology, and I like when they really dig into that stuff. Body swapping is just not that exciting for me as a general principle. Uh, yeah. And well, I'm just thinking like plot. I, see, I'm more concerned with the plot of the show and the arcs of the characters. And this is a filler episode in the scheme of things, no, so I could it never. Is, it is absolutely not. We're gonna fight about this. This is a great plot episode. Oh, why? There, uh, okay, let's let's just recap it. Okay. And then okay. As we get into the plot, we'll get into the plot. So, cold open. We see the cops, and they're doing a maze instead of paying attention to the 99-mile-an-hour people speeding by them in cars. And poor little Durlin, he's like, Aw, I almost got the treasure as he fails through the maze, but Blub says, The time we spend together is treasure enough. And we open the freaking show with a great cop moment. And That is uh, awesome. I really love that little moment between them. No, that is a phenomenon. I'm glad that that's the cold open. And yeah, we pretty much just see the pterodactyl fly in the distance, and that's that's pretty much the end of it. And you know, no! I love their moment is interrupted because the pterodactyl stomps onto the top of their roof of the car. And oh, yeah. instead of reporting that's it, right. they go for a ride in their new convertible. And then the pterodactyl does its own thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a sweet moment with the cops, and I think it's really nice that they decide to focus on that. As the cold intro, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, what's interesting, uh, there's actually more cops moments than I remember when I watched the series the first time. I felt like they only got, like, one somewhere, and it was like, oh, that's the confirmation. We've had, like, four good moments that, oh. like, very much reaffirm the fact that they're totally gay. You know what's funny? I, I remember a lot of, 
of I love I remember a lot of moments, but I barely remember watching this episode. Like I love dinosaurs so much, and I feel like I don't remember watching this episode actually. That's wild to me because this is one of the most memorable episodes to me. And for that reason, I walked in thinking, I feel like my expectations are going to be high and I'm not going to love it as much. And I did not have that reaction. Um, I'm surprised that I'm coming in so hot and you aren't because you as a kid were the freaking biggest dinosaur fan in the world. And I, I well, suspect really... you still like him. Well, yeah, there's only a pterodactyl in it, really, though. <laughs> it's that's not like a... not real. Well... Okay, it's maybe like that's a little scene. true. It's like one. I'm not trying to underplay it. Like I liked the episode. It's just there's there's so many amazing things that are going on with this show, and it's not that I didn't like it. I liked the dinosaur references, or I liked the Jurassic Park references, the Journey to the Center of the Earth references, the Land Before Time. It's all dinosaur stuff. I'm a fan of that. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still interested to see more of your arguments. Maybe you'll convince all right. me. Great, great, great. So, cold open is over. We see Stan giving a tour to some tourists because that's what happens on a tour. So Mabel realizes that because Stan is on this tour, that her and Waddles have the shacks themselves. So she starts a dance party. You know, there's a little montage and they're just doing like a lot of Mabel things. Um, She's got a disco ball sweater. I know you like when characters have different looks. I think this was different than most. This was a good one. I liked this sweater. I, I don't good. remember if she wore it for the whole episode or not, but uh, yeah, no, that was a good one. I noticed. Saw it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to pay more attention to those little details because you seem to be really good at it, and I feel like I noticed a decent amount in this episode, so, uh, you know, I'm gonna let you know about them. Okay, so maybe I didn't notice as much in this episode, because I remember in the carpet episode how I was pointing out some certain things that I still can't totally spoil. Yes. Was there anything like that in this that I missed? I believe so. Unless I'm confusing it with something else from another episode. But I believe somewhere as I go through my notes, we are going to find one or two things that are like that. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Mabel tells Waddles he's her favorite pig in the whole wide world. Uh, Stan trips over them napping. And we get an idea here that Stan does not care for Waddles very much. You know, Waddles is eating his pant leg. So he tries to get him to go outside. But Mabel objects because it's dangerous. Stan doesn't dispute that, but he says it's the natural order of things anyway. Humans don't roll around in their old, own filth. Mabel except replies, for and maybe. Well, except for Seuss, accurate. And Mabel replies, and maybe we're the lesser for it. Maybe we're the ones that should be put outside. Think about it. <laughs> I was wondering your thoughts on that because I was like, I feel like Lucas is going to have a reaction to that statement. Oh, really? I thought it was just a funny satire of people who say random arguments about, like, animal rights <laughs> <laughs> so you don't particularly agree with mabel no i mean no i know that doesn't make any sense there's no logical right. reason there's <laughs> here's a reason you love oh, okay. being outside am i correct that you once spent like a month outside well yeah but arguing that someone should be put anywhere is pretty tough it's hard to make that claim is it fair to say that about animals um I think if you give a conditional, you could say it. Hmm. All right. AKA, I'm done trying I to should... pluck wisdom out of you. Let me ask you, Alec. If there's a yeah. snake in your house, do you think, I like I like animals. I'm going to let this snake stay on my couch. No, because I'm quite afraid of snakes. Yeah. So I think the context is the key. <laughs> well done. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, Dipper and Seuss are on a mission. Seems like Dipper found some news stories about something hiding in the woods of Gravity Falls, something that rips the hood off the car as we get the reference to what happened in the cold open and 
Tipper comes up with an elaborate plan to photograph the creature. Surprisingly to me, it does fall for his trap and eats this steak he planted. So the cameras go off and he gets the shot. I was so surprised to see that work. Because again, I don't remember watching this episode. So when that happened, I actually was like, oh my god, they got it! What happens now? Like, I was actually totally sucked in. I had no idea what was going to be coming next, which was really cool to me. And also the whole contraption setup was really cool. And the little interaction that Dipper and Seuss had was really cute, too. Sure. And, you know, I think that played with our expectations a little bit. I liked that it didn't go where we were expecting. And I want to say there's more of that through the episode. You know, I'm slowly identifying why I enjoyed it so much because I haven't figured it out. I just know that I had a good time. Um, but anyway, back in the shack, there's a commercial on TV, which is hysterical. There's just a very aggressive, like, salesperson, like, sick of constantly dropping your baby? And it's like an advertisement for a baby holder, right? But he says, I know what you're asking. Does it work for pigs? Yes, it does work for pigs. It works for pigs. And it's like so screaming and over this. It's a very funny parody ad. I liked it. Yeah, like a wrestler is shouting out uh, at you. Yeah. Um, and Mabel is the target demographic for this commercial. So they clearly played it at the right time of day for the right person. Um, I believe this product is called a Huggy Wuggy Tummy Bundle. Oh my. I'm glad you remembered that. That's hysterical. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so Mabel decides she's got to go get one of those. She asks Stan to watch Waddles, who we've established does not care for him any, uh, very much. When, uh, Stan- when, when she asks him, she's like, Grunkle, I know you don't really like Waddles. And Grunkle says, he's a fat, naked jerk. I'm no, like, oh so my god, Stan. But he, he means it. He's like he so does. genuine and earnest. <laughs> um, but... Mabel says, but do you care about me? Promise promise that you won't let him outside. And he agrees to that reluctantly. Um, <laughs> and it's a really funny moment where he stares at Waddles and Waddles just slowly touches his hand in a really weird way. You guys and do. Stan's like, yeah, I don't <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, Honestly, that a little good. bit of my reaction as well. <laughs> And uh, so I did want to say, like, I feel like it's really easy for everyone to just hate on Stan for not liking animals. Which is hilarious, and I kind of agree, but, like, I feel like everyone's also had a moment where someone has had, like, a pet that they're not responsible with do something, like, annoying to you, and you want to, you were like, get your pet out of here. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. Mabel literally was just letting Waddles eat his pants. And I have legit met pet owners that will let stuff like that happen. And they are, and and it's true. It's not the pets that I want kicked out of my house. It is, in fact, the owners. So Mabel is right. It is the people that we need kicked out in situations like that. (laughs) Wow, brought it back around. I did note that as well. I was like, wow, Mabel is doing absolutely nothing to stop the situation. She's even egging it on. She's like, wow, it's so cute. Look at how he's being so disruptive to your livelihood. For real? I'm just going to make this a personal connection. Like those assholes that like let their dogs off leash and they're like, oh, it's okay. I don't mind that they run up. He's friendly. And it's like, if my dog is on leash and you don't know what my dog is going to do. Maybe I'm training them not to do stuff like that. Maybe they're aggressive and they're going to try to murder your dog. There's a whole bunch of reasons why people shouldn't do that. If you're one of those people, you suck. Stop being like that. (laughs) 
Yeah, I've had multiple issues with dogs off leashes. One of them attacked my dog, so I'm very passionate about that issue. Yes. Do not do it, please. If you're going to get a pet, make sure that you actually have the capacity to be a responsible pet owner and love that animal and care about them and their food and bathroom schedule. Yeah. Now, I will say, Mabel (laughs) definitely loves Waddles very, very much. Minus True. the fact that, you know, she's a little bit irresponsible with how he uh, behaves around other people. Okay, um, she's also, like, 12, so who's letting her own a whole animal to herself that's, like, a mammal? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, listen, though. It, Grunkle It's a hard job. It's a hard job because while Mabel is gone, Stan realizes just how badly Waddles behaves. Because as yeah. he is doing a tour... Um, which by the way, this is one of my favorite scenes. Um, cause Stan is giving this tour to some people inside the mystery shack and he goes, and here's where we have our final exhibit, the most hideous creatures known to man. He flips it up and it's a mirror. So all the audience the guests. Yeah. And they sort of laugh and he's like, Haha, we have fun here. Well, and the reason that I like this little scene, too, is because I feel like a lot of the time we only see Grunkle being, like, a shady scam artist. And it would kind of make you think, like, why would anybody come to this place? And why do people keep coming to this place? But people forget that Stan also is actually charming and good at making money. And this does show that side of him as well, which is kind of cool. Yeah, well, it was a genuinely funny thing. I'm like, oh, if I was on that tour, that would, like, crack me up. So, yeah. And that's what, the way he delivers the line, you know, we have fun here. It's yeah. very it's a good earnest read. again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the voice, that's a good note. The voice acting in this episode was really good. Like, I really, oh, that is one thing. I got lost in the characters' interactions with each other because they were very realistic. Or, like, I don't know. They worked. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know if I even have an enough enough of an artistic appreciation of voice acting to say why I thought it was good, but I got lost in it. So it must have been good. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I love that. And you know, as much as we praise Stan for doing really well here, he does transition that into introducing these tourists to the cornicorn, which is a unicorn made out of corn. Unfortunately, Waddles has eaten it, so the crowd storms off, calling him a scam artist. And Stan's not happy about that. No. Which is hysterical because, like, even if it had just been a thing of corn, it's you're still a scam artist. <laughs> right? Yeah, that actually is interesting. <laughs> it's like, okay, the pig ate the corn. It still would have been the same thing. Like, it, it's not like it's... I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe he was trying to pass it off as a real mythical creature, and obviously oh, it's just metal netting or something. That. I can yeah. see that. Like, oh, this is the body of a cornicorn. Sure. Um, I'm interested where we're going with Journal 4 on an unrelated note. Or really, on a related note, but on a tangent. That's oh, yeah, no, I'm, co- I'm confident in Journal 4, so everybody stick around till the end. Yeah. Um, it's obviously a cornicorn specifically that we're going to talk about. Sorry to spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the legendary cornicorn. Of course. It's the cornucopia of mythical creatures. Isn't it a cornucopia? Like, it has nothing to do with corn at all? It's just like a a buffet of food? A, um, a cornucopia, yeah, it's like a, it's just a thing that, like, holds a bunch of food in, like, a, I think right. it's from old English culture. Also known okay. as pillagers and evil people. <clears throat> you can cut that if you I want. I feel like that's a 3 out of 10 on a scale of likelihood to exist. <laughs> Three? 
Yo, I mean, we already saw that one did exist in Waddles Ate Some in real life, this show. So that's a 10. No, I'm just kidding. I was talking about the cornucopia, not the cornicorn. But oh. at this point, I'm losing track. Wow. So, meanwhile, Dipper is developing some photos. Um, and turns out one of his cameras got the wing. And it looks like one of his other cameras got a really good flat-out image of the creature. But because he's in a photo development room and everything has to be done with certain lighting and stuff, Seuss, like, walks in, opens the door wide, lets the light in, and it ruins the photo. Um, which literally, if anybody has worked in photography before and has had to be, have you ever been in a development room before? Never. No. First of all, they're really cool. I think I, I knew some photography homies of mine that would work with one when I was in college and or was, <clears throat> when I was in my undergrad and, uh, they would be so mad if somebody would do that because it actually does ruin the work that you did. There's like no way that you can develop it after that. It is like essentially a dead project entirely and you can't even see. Sure. Well, and Seuss has, or sorry, uh, Dipper has, I guess a natural reaction to this. And he's like, Seuss, you gotta be more careful. Cause like, what are the odds that we're going to get a picture of that again? And he hears a sound. Dude, Seuss also ate all the nachos. I just want to say like he busted in. And he had already eaten all the nachos. Oh, well, that's like, a little bit sad because when they got home from their adventure, he was excited about having made the nachos. I yeah. actually thought Seuss was adorable in this episode, even though he made some mistakes. I liked his enthusiasm. Yeah, me um, too. I, I actually have a lot of thoughts about Seuss in this episode, but we'll get into that. Me too. So they hear a sound outside because alongside this photography thing happening, Stan's frustration had made him decide to go ahead and take Waddles outside. And he immediately, in like two seconds, gets picked up by the pterodactyl. Like Stan learning the lesson in real time as fast as he possibly can. This was a bad idea. Well, he doesn't really... To him, this still necessarily wasn't a bad idea yet. (laughs) Well, okay, sure. But he knows that... It blew up in his face, regardless of whether the idea was sound or not. Well, he, he he at least knows that he's going to have to cover for the pig getting eaten. But all of this still could be a good thing in his head. Maybe. Yeah, Stan's actions are uh, <laughs> questionable, I would say. Because he gets called on this very fast because Dipper and Seuss have now run outside. Mm-hmm. And, and they're stoked because the pterodactyl is there. Uh, but Stan is not looking too happy. I do love that scene, actually, too, where, like, they're like, oh, my God, they're all excited, and they turn around, and Grunkle's just looking at, like, he does have a look of, like, oh, you know, oh, sh-. That is the look yeah. on his face. Um, <laughs> and, and I do appreciate that that's the look on his face, and he's not just passing it off like it was nothing. He is like, oh, no, the pig was taken. Oh, the pig was taken. <laughs> oh, okay, the pig was taken. The pig was taken you know that 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 process <laughs> what do i do now yeah um, and so that that was exactly the look on his face and they animated it well and he's voice acted it well too <laughs> well and to make matters worse mabel immediately shows up which oh, writing wise is so funny well, yeah her line on that was also 100 percent hysterical spot on hey guys what's up everybody whoa awkward quiet which, again, is totally something that somebody would do, especially like Mabel. Yeah. 
<laughs> she's not actually affected by the awkwardness, but she almost feels like, oh, maybe everybody else is, so I'm going to break the silence on behalf of all of them. I, I like to do that a lot. <laughs> I'm also someone who would do that. Yes. So so then Grunkles just straight up lies to her. He's like, I, di- I didn't put Waddles outside. Waddles was inside with me. I was nurturing Waddles like a respectful mother of Waddles. And this pterodactyl, and the, the flashback scene in this is so funny. The pterodactyl bursts into the house, in, like, almost with fists. I don't remember if it was. It was probably wings, but in my head they were fists. Just, like, picture at the tips of the wings, just, like, giant man fists. <laughs> okay. Bigfoot fists, even, it, actually. Um, so, yeah. Now Lucas uh, is embellishing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in this little, uh totally true flashback story <laughs> grunkle punches the pterodactyl and loses the fight just barely just just narrowly missing in an epic duel with the pterodactyl and mabel like totally straight up believes the whole thing and it's like grunkle you tried your best it's okay i know this must be hard for you yeah. well my favorite part is at the end of the story where his dramatized version of himself says, why couldn't you have taken me? That's right. (laughs) Yeah, why Uh, couldn't you have taken me? Now, so here is where there's a little touch, Lucas. And you said, point out stuff that you noticed. Dipper says to Stan, but you don't believe in the paranormal. And Stan says that dinosaurs aren't magic, they're just big lizards. Get off my back. But the way his eyes move in this scene shows... Uh, I actually feel like I got caught in something here and I don't want to give something away. Oh, well, bro, I mean, there's something like that going on in the plot. But that's my point, is you're saying there's nothing to the plot here. The pig. Oh, you mean the plot of, like, the episode itself? Yeah, he's trying not to get caught about waddles. (laughs) Well, okay, but that's irrelevant. The point is that he obviously knows that a dinosaur picked up Waddles. He saw that with his two eyes, and so did everybody else. So that's not a lie that he can cover up. But this is Dipper telling him, you don't believe in the paranormal, and he's trying to cover that up. Because obviously, well, we are led to believe that Stan knows something about the paranormal because of that weird scene from the beginning of the series. Yeah, And he definitely acts very suspicious here the way that his eyes move. It's like an animation thing that they are intentionally doing Maybe show some kind of secret. I promise Maybe. if you go back and you watch it, you'll see it too. Maybe. Well, I remember the scene. I remember seeing that and, and thinking like maybe there was something there, but it felt more related to the plot of the it felt like it was too it was it was too more obviously connected to the internal plot of that story that it seemed like it wouldn't make sense to be related to the other thing. Sure, but I mean, Dipper is making a point to tell Stan that he doesn't believe in paranormal things. Why would that line even be in there if it wasn't meant to be relevant? That's true. I don't know. I think there's something there, but... Uh, well, I we mean, will, I guess... Uh, well, the point would still be for Dipper to be pressing Grunkle about, like, wait a minute, you wouldn't believe that this exists. Why are you saying it? Because the thing is, the, the story about the pterodactyl is a lie. And he and well, the thing is, Grunkle was quick to... Uh, agree with the dinosaur thing because he was caught in something yeah well because from the moment that uh mabel got there seuss just flat out said yeah waddles got picked up by a pterodactyl so there wasn't any kind of plausible deniability um but he's still covering up the paranormal explanation and saying that dinosaurs are fair game 
you know, yeah. and that's when his eyes move. Yeah, I think he, I th- I don't know. I think it's still more easily attributed to the, just the plot with him being trying to cover up the Waddles thing. Discord peeps, if you watch this episode after the fact, please tell me if you think that this indicates suspicion and that they were trying to um, maybe give us subtly. a little something there. I, I wouldn't say it's nearly. Rem- I would not say it's as remotely as much as the thing in the other episode, though. Well, sure, because this is more of a, um, this doesn't have, like, any kind of a specific artifact that's supposed to be imported later. It's really just an eye movement and, like, the way that something's said. But it's still relevant. And it's still one of those cool things that if you really see it, subtle. it's cool. Really, it's cool. really subtle. Maybe, maybe. Let it be I'll cool. <laughs> Could be cool. All right. Um, so anyway, <laughs> after that... <laughs> Uh, Mabel sadly looks at a photo of Waddles, but Dipper says they are going to go catch that dinosaur and save her pig. Um, I really like Dipper's motivation to go and help his sister here. Um, they are able to follow a red yarn because it accidentally carried it through the woods. And Seuss makes the pterodactyl car. (laughs) Dipper corrects the pronunciation, but Seuss says, well, no one knows because they weren't actually around in the dinosaur days, so... It's true. I, I you couldn't know how they natively said pterodactyl. So that's right. Um, another really amazing moment to me is that Seuss is working underneath this car that he's built, and he has like a near death experience. Oh yeah, where the car almost runs over his head, and he just goes, "Ah, I almost ran over my head there." Ah, wow. Yeah, and like he just has a moment of existential, like I almost died, like. My entire life could have just been over in that freak thing. And the way that it's delivered, again, voice acting for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, it chilled me a little bit. I was like, oh, man, like that was just in there. Oh, yeah. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, well, See, <laughs> I, I've known a bunch of people in my life, too, that I like love to death. They're so sweet. They're so nice. But they actually are the kind of people to like do stuff like like you know they're not like very physically competent they don't have a lot of spatial awareness for one reason or another you know and and the thing is and there's a lot of people like that it's not like not everybody has those skills and i think that like well i i i think of the concept of trust right some people would say that people like that aren't trustworthy and i'm like it's not that you can't trust them it's just you need to trust them at their capacity you know what i mean and you just kind of got to work with where everybody's at so like in the Seuss situation, just don't give Seuss the physical challenges that are very catastrophic and, you know, give those things to people who are good with finite physical movement. You know what I mean? It's just pe- different people are good at different things kind of argument. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's a good point. And what's cool is, you know, this could have been played off for like a quick existential gag, but it goes somewhere because it leads Dipper to sort of start expressing concern to Mabel that Seuss is you know, messing stuff up, and he might mess more stuff up if they are trying to go find Waddles. Um, and there's, like, a little montage of him making mistakes. Uh, one part of the montage is just, oh, sorry, dude, I killed that fairy. And, um, oh, 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 that was oh, wild. Kill count! Seuss has a guaranteed kill count now! Ooh, wow, it's I, been a while since we've gotten to add something to the kill count. I know, and if if we haven't counted the Summerween trickster, too, because we all we know is that he ate him, we don't know if it died, technically. So that's I think that would count. I'm going to count it. I I might count it. I may, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the consciousness of the summer wind tristers. I don't know how that system works, but, uh, 
guaranteed we just 100% saw Seuss murder a fairy. That happened. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, it was in the past, but it counts. And uh, Dipper is about to tell Seuss, hey, maybe it's not so good if you go on this mission, because these are, this, you know, not your skill set. Um, but he gets cut off, and this is a little bit tropey, but it still moves the plot forward, where Sue says, but I made us Pterodactyl Bros shirts. And yeah. Dipper can't be like, oh, I want you out of this now, because those shirts are awesome. I've been there, man. I, I've been there so hard. I, I have a specific friend that I'm thinking about that I've been there with uh, all the time. And I'm just like, man, I love you to death, but I would absolutely worry about you, like, getting me killed by a dinosaur in a situation like this. Like, 100%. <laughs> and I'd want them to come because I like them, but I'd be literally endangered. <laughs> I was sort of thinking to myself, like, Dipper's being hard on Seuss in this episode, but when you really think about the stakes of the situation that it is potentially life or death, it does yeah. change things a little bit. It's kind of like a fair thing to be concerned about. No, and I'm not exaggerating. And I've been like, I've actually been in situations like that with someone that I'm thinking about. And it's like, when, yeah, you're like, I love this person, but you sometimes you really just need a competent person over the person that you love. That's how I feel about not picking you as my best man. Uh, I intentionally, <laughs> I would like to say everybody that I, before any of that, said that I wouldn't do it. <laughs> You did that. You said, listen, uh, you can ask me if you want, and I would say yes, but just know that A, B, C, D, E, F is probably how it'll go. And uh, it was a very genuine thing for you to say. That was me saying no in the polite way, knowing that he wouldn't want me to do it had I made those points. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I just Which are anyway. all true. Oh, man. Good stuff. <laughs> See, I'm not the confident friend in those regards. I don't know marriage norms, it's true. And I'm not going to find them out. <laughs> no, dude, no, no, listen, I, I love you. And it speaks to your <laughs> earlier point, which is uh, people have different strengths at different things. And you do want people in yeah. the right situations at the different time. So, exactly. Because um, you do want me as your show host still, at least, probably. A million percent. There's nobody better for that role than you. Uh, I uh, see. He took the whole. See, he took the wholesome route instead of going with the bit and making me look bad. Look how nice that is. <laughs> That's where I could have been like, oh no, I've got a list. You were just the seventh one who said yes. Yeah, be like, yeah, you uh, cancel my meeting at four. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. you were saying. Yeah, so they back out in this car that Seuss made, and he shouts, "Bros before dinos!" All right. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that was kind of funny. Yeah, you know, it's a pretty decent joke because we know what it alludes to. Mm -hmm. um, now, the red yarn leads to a weird-looking house of some kind. And Old Man McGucket is just in there. Uh, okay, okay. This house is something that I thought might have been a reference, but I don't know. I really don't. Like, this um, might be a reference to something in the future, and I just don't remember. So I have to admit that I have maybe like a little bit of that gear as well. I, I guess I don't remember for sure, but I have a reason to think that it is relevant. And I don't want to say what that is for the reason of spoilers. Oh, but I have a non-spoiler sure. reason, I think so. Okay. I think the house was just like, it was designed too well to not be a reference to something. You know what I mean? It mm -hmm. seemed like, like, wow, there was, it looked like there was detail put into this house. And then I thought that the fact that old man McGucket was just chilling in there was kind of weird too. You know what I mean? 
That's the thing. So it is weird. And his story is, oh yeah, I was just doing a hootin' Annie when a creature stole my musical spoons and flew into the abandoned mines below. I do buy that. <laughs> I mean, for his character, it makes sense. Yeah, that adds um, up. But still, there, I feel like his character is foreshadowing other things when he's around sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I agree. And he does just show up at weird places. Now, Mabel's not worried about finding out about this abandoned mine where the dinosaurs are because Grunkle Stan punched a pterodactyl in the face once already. So surely, yeah, surely. he is going to be able to do it again. Um, Different skills, though. Just because I punch a pterodactyl doesn't mean I'm not afraid of heights. Just saying. Fair. Um, but they all descend <laughs> down, including McGucket. He goes with them and just asks, Oh, uh, want anyone to tell weird personal stories? Because I can do that. And, you know, he talks about, uh, I guess, fighting a raccoon for the same piece of meat. And then they kissed accidentally. So glad to know that information about McGucket. Terrific. Is anyone there? Hello? I don't have much time, but I figured out the next riddle. Thankfully, it's short. It says, Everything is in its place. Have you got it yet? I'm struggling to keep track, but I haven't got a clue. There's still one more clue, though, so I'll be back again. Stay tuned. I'm counting on you. So... They're trying to go down this little dangerous, precarious area carefully, but they fall off the rope, the caverns, and immediately we get into what I think is the coolest setting that we've gotten yet in the show. Do you agree with that? Yes. This, the animation for the, what is this underground cavern of dinosaurs that have been solidified in sap, just like the Jurassic Park thing with the mosquito, if y'all aren't familiar with Jurassic Park. Um, and yeah, it looks awesome. The, the dinosaurs look really cool. The animation for this entire scene looks so unbelievably sick. I was, I actually like all my notes were in all caps at this point when I was watching because I love dinosaurs. I was just like, so awesome. Curse word, curse word, curse word, frozen dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's just an entire like prehistoric wonderland and it's so cool. Um, Seuss loses his smell from a weird plant. There's a human <laughs> skull, which gets referenced in Journal 3 as well, actually. Um, and, you know, most importantly, I would say, we get dinosaurs trapped inside of tree sap. And it appears that they could really bust out at any moment. I think one even has, like, a claw that's kind of moving. Yeah, and that made me... Uh, we'll, we'll revisit that, too, but, like... We'll revisit that later. The, the, yeah, the slowly it seems like these guys are breaking out. Like, they almost... Because we see that the pterodactyl one melted. And that's what happened, right? Because it was hot yeah. or something? Yeah, there's um, not enough um, worry about the possibility of all these dinosaurs getting loose. I guess, to be fair, the pterodactyl can fly. And many of the others probably couldn't. So it would be yeah, unlikely they that they'd be there. able to make it out of there. I don't know if they were thinking that hard, but, you know. That's a good point. They wouldn't be able to climb out of that thing. Also, yeah. wouldn't they just, like, starve to death in, like, a week? Hmm. Then again, I, you know Maybe. what? That's a stupid question. These are dinosaurs that have been frozen in tree sap. I'm not going to think too hard about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's true. I, I think Dipper theorizes that, oh, so this is what happened to all the dinosaurs. It's like, yes, Dipper, logical conclusion. Every single yeah. dinosaur just ended up in this mine. Yeah, they, 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 were, they were ahead of Walt Disney's time. <laughs> 
See, this is where Walt Disney actually is. This is in the caverns of the yeah. Gravity Falls universe. Yeah, guys, you didn't understand. They just did tree sap, okay? Obviously. Goodness. Well, nobody is more excited about this whole thing than Stan, because he's like, you know, he thinks this is the attraction of a lifetime. He could turn it into a theme park. Jurassic, Jurassic Sapphole. <laughs> you know what's funny, though? If I, if I had found that, there's definitely a huge part of me that would have been like, because not not for not not with the interest of thawing them out, but if like you could keep them encased there, like you mm-hmm. actually did just find the best attraction of all time. People can literally go look at preserved dinosaurs underground. That actually is like one of the coolest freaking things that could ever exist. He is totally right. <laughs> He is right, and it is smart of him to have that thought, but it is not smart of him to articulate the next thing he says, which is, I should have put that pig outside ages ago. Oh, Rough. Grunkle Stan. Mostly Does not go because well. it's, not like it's not like the pig being outside guarantee baits a pterodactyl. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even make sense. And now Mabel's mad at you because she very quickly realizes... Uh, his story was fake. All of this was just, he did the irresponsible thing, put Waddles outside, and now here they are. And for what it's worth, yeah, I'd be pretty upset too. I think Mabel has totally a right to be super duper mad. I think that that is exactly the kind of situation where you should like actually, I think people should use anger very, 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 very carefully. So not often that when you use it, people really respect it when you do. You know what I mean? And this is a good example of that because Mabel's like, no, Grunkle, I'm actually freaking mad. I'm not going to listen to a single thing that you're going to say today. And granted, she's a kid, so she's being a little childish. I'm not advocating for temper tantrums for adults or anything. But like, in general, it's good to have like, no, this is a boundary, dude. You violated my trust today. And I want to make that serious. So it, it does mean more when you're not doing it constantly, that you have a decent amount of grace and patience with people, but then you don't let them cross a line. Yeah, so I thought Mabel was really cool in how she handled that, you know? Because when I was 12, I probably raged way worse. The thing is, she asked one single thing of him. She didn't ask him to feed Waddles, to give him water. She literally just asked, could you please not put him outside? That's the only thing that I'm asking you to do. And he literally did turn around and do that exact thing and put her in this terrible situation. It's very extra, but like... (laughs) All justification in the world for her to not be happy with this. Well, the thing that's also dumb is logistically, Gronkle could have just put him in a room, too, you know? Sure. And also, he lied about it. You know, he made up this elaborate story instead of just, like, owning it from the get-go. So, Uh, But this does set off, like, kind of a chain of everybody getting a little bit frustrated because... um, Seuss and Dipper sort of get into, like, a little bit of a scuff here, too, where... Uh, Seuss is like, oh, well, you know, we just followed the yarn, um, but it turns out he actually lost the trail by picking up all the yarn, and then he knocks out a lantern so they lose their light, and Dipper just sort of freaks out at him, and even, you know, shit talks the shirts. Um, and this crosses the line of Seuss. You know he's mad when he talks shit about the best friend shirt. I know, that was, like, really cold, to be honest. I yeah. get the frustration, but Seuss, and for, I feel like this is the first moment that we've even seen Seuss snap for a second. You know, he just goes like, I have a bit different body type, dude. Oh yeah, that's right, because the kicker is that what the shirt is too big for Dipper, and that's what he's making fun of, is the fact that, you know, the shirt doesn't even fit him, and, you know, 
Seuss, I guess, he just did to the same size, which it's a mistake, but I think that, you know, this sort of goes after something about Seuss that makes him, you know, not feel super secure. And that's kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was it was a point where, like, Dipper didn't handle it well because he got mad and exploded when he should have, like, tried to just be a homie and be like, hey, man, could you, you mind if I handle this? You know what I you know what I like to say in situations like that? I just like people, I like to make people think that I'm neurotic and I'll just be like, oh, hey man, I'm like super control freak about this. You just mind if I take care of this? It'll just make me feel better. You know what I mean? If oh, you that's just, an like, interesting approach. Put it on yourself and then nobody feels bad. You know what I mean? Then everyone's like, oh, that's See, just Lucas being Lucas. I think that part of Dipper's mistake here was that he had the semblance of knowing what he needed to do ahead of time, but he chose to ignore that instinct and bottle stuff up. And then he ended up exploding as opposed to just addressing it earlier on in the timeline where it would not have been so bad. Exactly. But anyway, while they're all fighting, uh, McGucket has found the lantern. Everything's going to be fine, except because of the lantern, we can see that right behind him is the pterodactyl. Everybody screams. Um, (laughs) McGucket tells everybody not to make sounds and then just starts like screaming old man nonsense or something. Yippee, pterodactyl, we found a pterodactyl. (laughs) He, he's quite a character. Um, but it's okay, because uh, they're able to barely run away and get out. Uh, Pterodactyl's gone for a second, and they start brainstorming. Stan's idea is to use Seuss as a human sacrifice, which he is weirdly okay with. Um, he also says also- to dress him as a pig and use him as a human sacrifice, which is, like, the most insensitive thing Though, at least it shows that at least he doesn't care about Seuss more than Waddles. At least he's equal. I think it's, I think it's very hard for that to be redeemable. <laughs> uh, but I, I appreciate you trying. Um, but not everybody concurs with this plan, so they're still arguing. Um, but Mabel hears Waddles, and sure enough, we find out that Waddles is alive. So she runs over some precarious train tracks to rescue him. He is in the nest of a pterodactyl, and it includes quite a bit of what appear to be human skulls. So that pterodactyl, I will say, the, we know, definitely know for a fact that that pterodactyl has a kill count. And if we counted the amount of skulls in that nest, we can definitely attribute them to that single pterodactyl from the time that they got out of the sap. I still think that we need on-screen deaths for the kill, kill count. That's my, like, obsessive feeling about it. What? You don't know. You you can't prove it for sure. What? It would have plausible deniability in court. Like if this was an ace attorney case, Phoenix Wright would be able to figure out how uh, those skulls were not all singularly uh, responsible for uh, all of, yeah, you understand what I'm trying to say. Dude, a court works on deductive reasoning. If a, if they found a bunch of skulls in the nest of a per if the house of a person they would very much indeed believe that that person murdered those people <laughs> if it's not on screen and it's not a confession i am going to give the pterodactyl plausible saying- deniability here yes wait a minute <laughs> i believe You're that this pterodactyl is my argument <laughs> i believe that this pterodactyl is innocent until proven guilty how do you pr- how do you prove is finding the dead body of someone in their house not proof enough of their imp? I'm gonna need to see some fingerprints before we uh, decide this for real, man. They don't even do that for real. 
I mean, sometimes. I don't know if you could get pterodactyl fingerprints, mostly on the basis of, as far as most people know, pterodactyls aren't even real, but we know better. All right, so for everybody who knows that uh, that the pterodactyl killed those people, uh, those skulls are their kill count. <laughs> hey, listen, it could be its father or mother. Hey, man, you believe whatever Those could have been there a long time. I know, skulls that's a, takes... I, I know the kill count. All right. It's resting some... on the top of a nest. If it takes that long to decompose, it wouldn't be sitting on the top. You keep your kill count and I will keep mine. This is just Which... basic ge- basic biology logic. Lucas, I'm going to continue to deny the death of all these people. Is that going to make you uncomfortable? <laughs> no, actually, you saying it that way completely makes me comfortable and understand. Okay, I'm glad. I mean, we know none of the main characters from Gravity Falls Town died, so he must have been picking off tourists that whole time. Okay, that's my last mo- That's my last one. Excellent. Uh, let me just give it a second. So anyway, Stan and Waddles fall together to the bottom of the pit, and somehow they live. Um... It's a pretty big fall, and they sort of just tumble, so I'm not really sure how that happens, but it's cartoon logic. It's okay. Um, It's obviously a little bit better of them being miraculously saved. I think it's less tropey for them to have actually fallen and hurt themselves. I agree. I think that makes sense. Um, So the pterodactyl picks up Stan's hat and then goes back to the top and drops it off in the nest, and Dipper asks McGucket if he has an invention to distract the pterodactyl, uh, and that's going to be a no, unfortunately. Um, Delivered in a very get... funny way, too. He was just like, do I? Searches. <laughs> and McGucket has his own way of dealing with problems, but we'll get to that at the very end. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, there's another problem here because another pterodactyl is hatching from this nest. Uh, and yes. it just eats old man McGucket right then and there. Right after right he actually politely says, well, welcome to the world! Like, in a really nice, sweet way. It's just excellent, super quick. McGucket um, was good in this one. I liked McGucket in this episode. He, 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 he was. He had a lot of really good moments. Um, now, meanwhile, though, Stan and Waddles, they're beefing. And Stan talks himself into guilt as Waddles sort of just stares at him. Ooh, Stan and Waddles are porking. Better. I don't know why I didn't think about that when I wrote it down. Anyway. Uh, oh my so, god. This time, Grunkle Stan decides, you know what, Waddles, should not have treated you this way. When the pterodactyl grabs him, Stan decides he is going to enact the montage that he made up in his head. And he literally, in the most heroic way possible, hops onto the pterodactyl as it flies through the air. And literally starts punching it. Yeah. And you can't tell me that this was not, like, one of the most epic moments in the series overall. Not just so far. uh, Well, I don't know. There's a lot of really epic moments towards the end. You've said before that you don't remember the finales that well. Uh, That is true. There's a lot about the second season, for some reason, that I remember a little bit worse than the first. I don't know why that is. Okay, see, the Um, second season is my favorite, and that's what I remember the most from, because of all of the plot-relevant stuff that happens, and I love the epicness of that. But still, nothing does compare to Grunkle Stan literally riding a pterodactyl and punching it in the face. That is definitely, like, its own brand of epicness that I don't think anything tops for what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm so with you, and I just freaking love it. Meanwhile, uh, 
Seuss actually comes out up with the plan that saves the rest of the group that are in the nest, uh, him, Dipper, and Mabel. Um, which is a kind of a clever idea, you know? The uh, pterodactyl has eyes on the side, so if they all stand in a straight line, it can't quite see them. You know, maybe, like, not a perfect solution, but it works. Yo, I will say, I would all... If I was in this moment and all of these things that happened today, I would definitely not have been like, you know what, Zeus? I'm going to trust your instinctual biological sense about a pterodactyl's eyesight. I do not think that that is the thing that I would have thought. I'd have been like, you know what, Zeus? I think I think I got this one. I think I'm going to try this time. Is what I would yeah, have said. Yeah, no, it's interesting because Seuss just tells, hey, Dipper, just trust me as a pal this one time. And I probably really don't like call. the moral of that. <laughs> I thought about that too. Can I just I say, like, I don't know. If they had died in that scene, would that have been the same moral? Would the moral have been trust your bud? No, but no, it was it never going to happen thanks to the writers. Yeah, but my point is, a lot of the times... Maybe you should just not do that, even if it's not the PC thing to do. You know what I mean? Well, let me ask, because this is basically, uh, essentially, I guess, how the Seuss arc sort of ends this episode. You know, a little mm-hmm. bit later, he has a bros before dinos one more time moment where he, like, gets everybody out of the cavern from a geyser. But aside from that, let's, like, close the loop here on Seuss. What's your big takeaway? Because you said you sort of had thoughts about how Seuss was portrayed in this episode. I felt like it was more character development that we've got from him up till now. So what I love about it is like the complexity of Seuss as a, as a person and him being lovable, but slightly incompetent, but still a genuinely good person and really trying to help and be a friend. And I think that it gives you a complex view of a human being that I related to because I've got a friend, you know, like I said, I was, I was relating to that. And I liked how they do it i don't know if i agree with the approach that like that they gave for dipper which was they just pretty much just like you know it seemed like they almost didn't finish the moral to me because it was like oh just trust your friend because to me it was almost like wow they set that up as such a complex interaction to deliver a really basic and probably not true moral. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah, I guess that's kind of true, is that the Dipper side of it, he doesn't really get vindicated in any way, even though he had some reason to be genuinely concerned. Um, yeah, I think pretty- the, the resolution maybe barely comes when Seuss is trying to tell him, like, listen, man, I know that I messed some things up and I'm not good at everything. And I guess that was like the very brief moment where they were trying to wrap that up where Seuss at least acknowledges that he has shortcomings and he's not going to be good at every single thing. But the thing is that you're right. There was nothing about this specific situation that should have made him any more trustworthy than the other ones. It would be one thing if it was a specific strength of Seuss. Exactly. Really good at, um, dinosaur biology. If they had even set that up, if even if they had like shown him reading a book about dinosaurs at the beginning of the episode, so anything even like that, you know, even just to make it pass, but it was just some random thing, you know? Sure. Um, And that's a really good point. I I guess it doesn't fully take me out of it. It, And maybe it really was just, there's a lot going on in this episode, like a lot of really great stuff. And it takes time to set up a really good moral from start to finish. I don't think it took Um, me out of it. I mean, I still... I mean, I still loved how they portrayed Seuss. That's my biggest takeaway, was I just loved how Seuss was given so much complexity as a character. You know, even if I didn't love how they ended up doing the moral or, or like, how Dipper handled it, you know, I still loved how Seuss was given all of this character development. 
Sure. And I can relate to a person who a lot of the time means well and is not competent at every single thing, truth be told. So I also yeah. like the storyline. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I everybody mean, relates to that sometimes. Everyone should, because if you don't, then you probably think that you're better at some things than you are. I hate to say it. Maybe. <laughs> Everybody's bad at stuff. You should be bad at stuff because we need each other. That's one a wonderful thing. It's good to be bad at things. Figure out what you're Try. bad at and then find lovely people that are good at it so you can be surrounded by good people. Yeah, uh, there's a great Walt Disney quote, and I don't know it off the top of my head, but it's something along the lines of, um, if you don't know something, don't worry, because there are tons of people who will be very willing to fill your head with the information. And, yep. you know, it's true. Uh, it's okay to have like a beginner's mindset and start from nothing and learn stuff. Uh, yeah. In fact, I think it makes life pretty fulfilling. So let's yes. get back to, to Grunkle Stan punching a pterodactyl, because... Yes. As Dipper, Seuss, and Mabel escape, they are able to see this amazing scene unfolding. And Mabel just looks with so much, uh, what's the word? Um, Adoration. Yeah, admiration. That's totally it. Uh, And she wears his fez and looks at him like a hero. And I just really think that was freaking cute. Yeah, that was a really cool scene. It was a great conclusion. Gravity Falls does does know how to write a really killer, like, wrap-up scene for plots like this. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, they do just end up getting out. Like I said, Seuss gets them out through the geyser, and... We, we see more dinosaur hands come out, as if they're, like, alluding to the fact that more are coming. But it seems like they don't do anything with it. I don't remember if more dinosaurs come back, if I'm being honest with you. I'm guessing. I don't either. You're th- All right. Well, I guess we'll see. There is something in Journal 3 that I'll be able to mention, though. Uh, I, or, sorry, we yeah. just saw we saw a Velociraptor hand earlier in the episode come out, and then we saw two T-Rex hands come out that weren't out earlier. So that's implying that as time is passing, they are, in fact, coming out. It's true. Um, but they don't ever follow up not- with it, I don't think. Yeah, that specific dinosaur is not uh, followed up in Journal 3, but I will get to that when we get to it. Um, To wrap up the episode, so they're in this weird house again. Um, There's a cute moment where Stan says he wouldn't let the dinosaur disappoint his favorite niece. She says, that was sappy. Uh, And they sort of start fighting with sap adorably until they start screaming because the sap is like overtaking their faces and stuff. (laughs) Real dark, real quick. (laughs) But next scene, they're napping in the car together while Seuss drives and uh, him and Dipper are having a nice little chat. Dipper got a dinosaur tooth and thanks Seuss for saving them. They do a little pterodactyl bros fist bump. Getting a dinosaur tooth is basically like the coolest souvenir ever. Forget about a shark oh, tooth. yeah. I know, right? That Well, uh, technically a shark could be like the same age as a dinosaur if you're basing your value based on timing. Hmm. Or based on species. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, our episode concludes with ominous music leading us back through the strange house for a second, as if this might be important. But then the side or the music is broken as McGucket pops up and uh, goes, "I ate my way through a dinosaur." <laughs> that see, you can't count only on-screen deaths because this is a kids' show. You have to count off-screen deaths. No, this counts. Mentions this counts. Yeah, I said off-screen deaths or characters confirming it. And that is what McGucket does here. He says, I ate my way through the dinosaur with a spoon, basically, which is, ugh, but definitely counts. A dinosaur. So that's guaranteed one. He didn't say multiple dinosaurs. That's true. Just, just saying, we do know that it was one. McGucket and by the killed. way, it was a baby dinosaur, and that's really dark. Yeah. 
McGucket Ugh. ate through the chest of a baby dinosaur. Oh, and God. Uh, I hate when you say it that way. I don't <laughs> need to let my imagination wander like that. It's a... Uh, it, yeah, so uh, that happened. So who are you giving your points to for this one? So, this is a tough one, because I sort of feel like McGucket deserves a point, but I didn't give him one. Uh, oh, because I, I really want... Oh, and you're in the same boat. I ended up giving it to two others. I just really loved Mabel in this episode um, as a character. I feel like she had a lot of really nice moments. I liked the way that she handled everything. Um, and even though she didn't have like a lot of the major comedic moments, I feel like she was the most consistently not terrible. Um, I agree with so, you on that. So I gave the two to Mabel. And then I felt like Stan did so many things wrong. But I couldn't not give him one point because that scene on the pterodactyl is just like the most epic thing it's in the so series. Epic. Like you can't walk away without giving him a point for that scene. Yeah. So I was almost going to give one point to Mabel for the same reason that you said, but I changed it as soon as I saw him punching a pterodactyl. I had ah. to give I had to give him a point instead of Mabel, and then I gave Seuss two points because I was so like characters like this need humanizing portrayals, and I love that. Cool, man. I love that choice. I And I also was thinking, man, did I make a mistake by not giving Anita Seuss? Um, no, I got so, you. Uh, yeah, I think that we did this well. I feel bad for McGucket here because he's not going to have that many opportunities to get points. True. Um, but all things considered, I do think that this was a strong character episode. The only one who I think didn't really... Even Dipper, I liked in ways. I just think that his decision-making didn't always make perfect sense. But I, I yeah. do think that anybody could have gotten points. I Even think Waddles... He, he, Dipper was almost the backboard for Seuss's exploration, though, and I kind of appreciate that in a, in a way, too. Really good point. Um, so let's get into some insights from Journal 3. Yes. Um, something that happens at the end of, like, in the end credits, right, is, I guess, uh, you know, Dipper or Seuss are, like, joking around or whatever, but Stan and Mabel are playing poker together. Stan folds with four aces because he thinks snorting is waddles as tell um mabel though admits to him that she's been cheating the last eight turns and he says ha that's my girl uh, I, uh, which is really sweet it is really sweet so why is that relevant to journal three well there's a picture in journal three of a dinosaur playing poker why would this be stan stole a dinosaur egg off screen and we get an entire story from Journal 3, which could have been its own episode. That's awesome. Um, yes. So I guess he, he, so he takes the egg, um, starts putting it under a heat lamp. And because it's taking forever to hatch, Dipper and Mabel were planning to put it underneath Stan when he slept because of his creepy old man humidity thing, as it's written. Gross. But I don't know if it was the heat lamp or it being under Stan. The dinosaur freaking hatches. And it's a Compsognathus. They name it Copy. Wow. and we get, like, a legitimate, like, arc of what happens with Copy. He follows Mommy Stan around everywhere. Um, Waddles starts hiding in Mabel's bed constantly, naturally, to not be around a potentially dangerous dinosaur. Um, That's awesome. But Copy starts learning from Crunkle Stan and starts pickpocketing tourists with its beak, I guess? It doesn't oh look like God. it has a beak on the pictures, but they say it. That's um, so funny. But it starts, like, uh, taking for tourists and then scaring them away with a squawk that sounds suspiciously like, no refunds! That's awesome. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. 
But he, so basically what happens is he starts hoarding it like a dragon and all of the gold is starting to accumulate and Stan realizes he's not getting it getting any of it because this dinosaur is becoming greed obsessed and wants all of the money but not just for shiny things um because stan tries to give him a gold watch to lure him away and he knows it's fake uh, and instead gravitates toward the credit cards and the 20 dollar bill so it's actually like a legit money obsession from this uh dinosaur copy that they have raised um so eventually they do catch him with this new plan and they give it to uh, farmer sprott who is the same character that gave uh, Mabel Waddles. I guess he's comfortable handling unusual livestock. That's like an entire freaking side plot that makes no appearance in the animated show whatsoever. I love that. That's so awesome. Grunkle became a dinosaur mommy. I know. It's so strange. And like, what are the ramifications of this? Now there's a dinosaur just wandering around and we're not going to get to know what that means. Um, Potentially multiple based on the end of this episode. Right, well, that's a whole other thing. We do get a little bit more about, like, the specifics of that area, but it's nothing super significant. Um, I think Dipper just writes that he can sick the T-Rex on Pacifica if she ever gives them trouble again. Um, they find a new dinosaur that has not been seen in the history books, so it's a new discovery. And that's cool. I guess the rule, according to Dipper as well, whoever sees it first gets to name it, and it was Seuss, so he calls it Rad Dog Ceratops. So that's a new name of a dinosaur for you in this universe. I love it. Rad Dog Ceratops. I know somebody wants to draw that. Oh, well, it's actually in Journal 3, so it's already been drawn. Okay, um, never mind that. But yeah, if anybody wants to make their own dinosaur, like, have at it. Uh, people have been delivering on the fan art lately. It's pretty cool. Dude, people, people have been making amazing stuff. I'm so blown away all the time. Yeah, our Discord. If you all aren't in the Discord already, feel free to check out the Shameless Plugs channel to see the cool art that people are drawing. Um, yeah. So, Journal 4. This is an easy one for me, because we're going to get into one of my favorite cryptids that not everybody knows about. Okay. Um, and I'm sure that you will know about it, because it was one of your weird and wild creature cards. Um, but it is the Kongamoto, otherwise known as what people think is a living pterodactyl. Oh, I'm so glad you did this one. This one's so cool. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and read the cryptid wiki entry, and we'll be able to maybe sift some stuff out. So Kongamotos are, and I think I might be pronouncing it wrong, it might be Kongamato, but they're large pterosaur-like cryptids living in semi-tropical regions of Africa, particularly in Zambia, the Congo, and Angola. Now... There's a lot of different stories that go with them, um, but I guess when shown pictures of a pterosaur, uh, natives in the area have historically said that that is the Conga motto to them. Um, and this is a really interesting to, one to me. And my head almost went to something else, which is Thunderbirds, which is some very big birds that people have seen in not only this yeah. country that we're in, but which is the United States, uh, but many others. Um, I'm not putting those together. I think that we might have a future opportunity to talk about the Thunderbird because yeah. I think re really large birds and the possibility of a pterosaur having survived extinction are very different types of things. Um, oh yeah. Well, like dragons are different too. That's like a whole other level of mythology. Sure. And now Lucas, you said uh, in one of our first episodes that lake monsters seemed particularly unlikely to you. Do you feel like the idea of a surviving pterosaur is more likely than the idea of a surviving plesiosaur? Um, well, surviving plesiosaur and lake monster are not the same thing, just to make a quick clarification, because oceans, 
oceans are far more difficult to explore than lakes. So in terms Good point. of stuff happening out there, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but in terms of like, so my whole deal with this one, so you know what, my okapis uh, are my favorite animals. And if you don't know what an okapi is, it's a cool looking giraffe zebra thing that lives in the Congo. And giraffe, or, uh, and okapis were discovered uh, in sometime in the late, like, 20th century, I think, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. And, I think that's um, close. Yeah, I think it was like in it was it was in the it was after 1900. I know it was after the year 1900, and for a long time they were considered uh, cryptids because they hadn't been seen by biologists. Granted, I'd be still pretty surprised if there was something like like a something as huge as a you know ter- ter- pterodactyl that would still exist in, out there. Um, the idea of something like that having existed at some point to create those rumors, I do consider possible for sure. Yeah. So what's interesting to me is, you know, there's two sides to this, right? There is maybe the possibility that certain dinosaurs could have lived long. I think that something that flies makes more sense than a land mammal, right? Because you could fly to all kinds of different areas that may be difficult to find. Um, well, but I the, think also it's less likely that they would have survived the thing that killed all the dinosaurs, though, because their environment was the most destroyed by the fallout. So if you're a flying creature, you are like the least likely to make it. That's a really good point. And that's where surviving in the water seems to have made a lot more sense. Exactly. There's still different people who believe different things about the dinosaurs. Um, I don't actually know what the accepted scientific fact is. Like, I think it's a meteor just because that's what I've always been told. But I I, I, I watched a video on YouTube recently. So obviously I'm a scientist. Everybody take this as fact. Um, (laughs) But... uh, It seems to be that the current accepted scientific meta is that it was a big ol' asteroid that landed in the Gulf of Mexico and created the Gulf of Mexico. Okay, cool. So by that logic, I do think that, you know, this is one of those things that's probably unlikely, but I also think that there's a chance, similar to lake monsters, where there could be some kind of beast that's not an actual surviving pterosaur, but perhaps an undiscovered animal, such as the okapi that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, And I think the idea of a flying creature like that having survived, I don't know. I guess it depends on the area. Well, see, that's the thing. The idea of it being like a really big, colorful bird that's really rare that's never been seen before... That, on the other hand, is like, that's like 9 out of 10 possible. Because nude birds are discovered all the time. Especially that's in true. areas like that. That's like super this, likely. But this one would have to be real big. I mean, I guess same would, would be the Thunderbird. But again, I said that would be a different Again, I, I'm not saying they would still exist. Like, maybe they went extinct. But maybe they did at some point. And that's why they were considered a cryptid. Because they were so rare that people didn't see them. Except for super rarely when they were dying out. And when they did, they were like, did you see that big bird? Let's put that on my mantle because people are awful. And that's why we don't see them anymore. Sure. Uh, And also there are surely extinct creatures that became extinct well after we started being good at tracking them. Yeah. Right. So it's possible that something like this existed and has since gone extinct, but it happened before it was ever tracked in the first place. Um, And, you know, I'm trying to rate the existence of it having or I guess rate the possibility of it having ever existed. So uh, I got to say, this one's higher on the list for me. Yeah, I'll um, say 9 out of 10. 
You'll go that high. I think I'll give it an eight because I still think it's a little bit of a stretch in the sense that big creatures that have not been discovered are a tough one. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's impossible, but you know, if you can fly, you can evade a lot. Who knows what biological reasons you might have to hide. Um, yeah, I'm not going to rule it out. I think that of all the beasts that we've talked about, why not the Kongamato? I think so. Sweet. All right, man. Well, the cipher for the week, Red, it works for pigs. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It really is. Um, this podcast is brought to you by the Brazilian Dragon Podcast Network. You know about them. They're great. Felipe Shimon was on our podcast. He's great. So feel free to listen to any of those. Um, you can find more of Lucas and I on Hester Brothers Cartoon Theater on YouTube and follow us on social media. Links in the description. Uh, I already plugged the Discord. Don't need to do it again, but it's great. And iTunes reviews are very helpful if you haven't already stopped listening. Uh, thank you, Tesla Scarborough, for the cover art. Voice of the Mysterious Woman Animal Floor. We will see you all next week. Happy sleuthing. Later, homies. <laughs>